I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The summer of 1990. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 83 is etched into my memory as one of the most harrowing experiences of my life. I was a park ranger in the Midwest, responsible for the safety and preservation of our beloved natural landscapes. Little did I know that the historic floods that year would test not only our resolve, but our very survival. It started with incessant rainfall, an unrelenting downpour that seemed to have no end. The rivers swelled and the floodwaters surged, threatening to swallow everything in their path. As a park ranger, my duty was clear, save lives and preserve parkland. But this flood was unlike anything we had ever seen. The days blurred together as we worked tirelessly, evacuating campers, rescuing stranded families, and battling the relentless waters that threatened to breach our levees. The parks we loved were submerged and the landscape transformed into an unrecognizable expanse of water. But we couldn't afford to lose hope. Lives depended on our actions. One fateful afternoon, as I patrolled the flood-ravaged area on a small boat, I spotted something that defied explanation. It was a creature standing about seven to eight feet tall, weighing an estimated 450 pounds, covered in thick black fur. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was slimmer than the popular Bigfoot image, almost emaciated, with a distinct neck. But what truly set it apart were the long, tapered horns protruding on either side of its head, also black in color. On top of its head, another horn pointed straight up. All the horns were approximately five to six inches in length and matched the same dark color as the creature. 
My heart pounded in my chest as I watched it from a distance. It moved with an eerie grace, navigating the floodwaters with a fluidity that belied its size. Its presence sent shivers down my spine, and I couldn't help but wonder if the flood had awakened something ancient and hidden in the depths of the wilderness. Before I could react, the creature darted into the nearby woods, disappearing among the trees. I was left in stunned silence, grappling with a surreal encounter. What had I just witnessed? Was it a creature of local legend, a survivor of the flood's fury, or something entirely unknown to science? As the floodwaters eventually receded, leaving behind a trail of destruction, I couldn't shake the memory of that enigmatic creature. It remained a mystery, a puzzle that would haunt my dreams for years to come. The floods of 1993 had reshaped the landscape, but they had also unveiled a secret, one that would forever remain locked in the depths of the Midwest wilderness. This happened back in February, and I just want to know what I heard. My boyfriend and I and a couple of friends decided to try winter camping and threw together a quick camping trip. We got to the park late and ended up camping two miles into the park directly on the trail. Everyone else fell asleep quickly and I stayed up. I'm already wary of the woods and I didn't love that nobody put their food up. This is in the Appalachian Mountains and I wasn't crazy about waking up to a black bear looking for food. Approximately around midnight I heard what sounded exactly like the Nazgul screams from the Lord of the Rings movies. It sounded like one scream and then others joined in until it was one very loud scream from many voices then died off. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and I immediately woke up my boyfriend and begged him to stay up with me all night. He thinks I heard coyotes, but I have never in my life heard coyotes make that sound, and also, he didn't hear the screaming. We weren't near any towns. It sounded like it was on the top of the mountains, where it's all woods, and we were camped at the base. The only thing I can think of is sirens, but I've never heard sirens like that, and I don't see why there would be multiple, and it sounded too animal-like. It also wasn't an elk. We don't have them in our area, and even if we did, it didn't sound like the elk audio recordings I listened to. I was riding my horse above a friend's place looking for an old man that was supposed to be up there. There were no trails, so I made my way through the trees and using deer trail. I was making one last look, see before heading back down, following a deer trail, and suddenly, the same time my horse stopped, snorting and spooked, smelled this god-awful smell. The horse would not take another step forward and kept trying to turn away and head down the mountain. I gave him his lead and kept looking back. The hair was standing on the back of my neck. We went down about fifty yards. I got off and looked hard up where we had come from. I didn't see anything but just got this feeling something was watching me as much as I was looking up. I got back on the horse and we headed back to my friend's ranch. When I got there, I told him what happened. He never experienced anything like that, but he said he had heard some strange noises on occasion. At the time, I wasn't much of a believer in Bigfoot, but since then I've done a lot of research and have become a full believer in the Sasquatch and have spent some time in the woods looking for tracks and or to sight one myself. I went back up there the next day and tied my horse, walked up past where we had stopped. I didn't find any tracks as the ground was dry and hard and had plenty of undergrowth, but there were signs that something had passed through there. I've hunted and camped these mountains in southern Oregon for over 25 years and been a hunter all my life, sometimes with a camera, sometimes with a gun. Now that I'm sort of retired, I am going on the hunt for Bigfoot myself. This is one mystery we need to define with absolute proof, one way or another. When I was 18, 2005, my mom was giving me a ride to work. My car had got impounded for something stupid, and I had to wait 30 days to get it back. In the meantime, my mom was giving me rides to work. 
On Saturdays, I worked morning shift, so I had to be at work by 5 a.m. That means we had to leave the house no later than 4.30. It was still dark outside, like pitch black and very cold. That morning, as my mom drove me to work, from a distance I could see a figure getting ready to cross the road, basically jaywalk in front of us. As we got closer, I can see it was a young girl. I thought to myself, damn, caught her doing the walk of shame, Lowell. She had no shoes, a long white shirt, like if she was wearing a man's white tee. It was big on her. It looked like she had no pants on, but you could barely see she had these short jean shorts under her large shirt, like the kind that used to be pants, but she cut herself to make shorts. She wasn't wearing shoes. My mom started talking shit in Spanish, like what kind of girl walks around the streets at this hour, dressed like that. She was walking now in the middle of the street, super slow to the point my mom had to stop like ten feet away from her because she was still in the street, now blocking us. When my mom stopped, the girl came to a complete stop, but wasn't facing us. It was facing in the direction it was crossing, crossing from my right to left. As we now were close, I could see her skin was a real bluish gray. Her hair was black. It looked wet and tangled like she just got out the shower. My mom was about to honk at her when she slowly turns her head to look right at us. Her hair was covering her face. She looked like the girl from the ring. The part that I'll never forget was that she moved her hair out the way and she had no face. Like nothing. It was just all smooth, like Slender Man. No eyes, no mouth, no nose. It just looked smooth. My mom started to have a panic attack. I literally felt my heart drop. I now was focused on calming my mom down. The girl looked at us for like two, three seconds, then took a running. It didn't move at irregular speeds, but now it was active. I never saw anything like that in my life. Till this day, my mom and I can't explain what that was. I guess I was sharing my story in hopes that maybe someone else has seen something similar, something with no face. I grew up in East Texas on what was an old cotton plantation. Heck, the pine timber behind my house was terraced off down the hill from where the old cotton rows were once planted. Anyhow, I don't have time to go into all of the details, but trust me, there are things, maybe spirits, maybe not, that do things that we cannot explain. I lived in terror in that house for five years. Things got so bad that my mother had her log of events notarized and signed by the realtor and an attorney prior to putting the house on the market. Lights switching on and off, dark shadows crossing the halls, an old black man standing at the foot of the bed with hollow eyes just staring through you. Carpenters that refused to work in the house after hearing mumbling voices, balls of white and blue light bouncing off the walls in rooms where there was none. Absolutely no outside source from plane, light, etc. Ah, deep breath. Okay, horrible smells that would move from room to room that smelled like death. It grabbed my dad. He refused to believe this mess up until that point. I could go on and on and on. The believers will nod their heads while the naysayers spew their beer laughing. It's all fun and games until something happens to you that you can't explain. Good luck to the naysayers. I'm sure you will rush back to this string for support if and when anything ever happens to you. Oh, and yes, the house sold three months after we sold it, and has changed hands multiple times since. My mother ran into one of the previous owners, and he nearly broke down in tears when she asked him if anything weird ever happened while he lived there. Anyhow, that's a piece of my story. I lived it, and it sucked. I remember the day as clear as a bell. My girlfriend and I, hungry for adventure, decided to take on the Appalachian Trail. We weren't through. Hikers by any means. Just a pair of carefree spirits looking to experience the rustic charm of the wild over a three-month period. We were far from civilization. Hadn't seen a soul in what seemed like forever. The isolation was just as we desired it. An escape from the urban frenzy. 
As I led the way, my eyes caught sight of something peculiar. It was a large brass eagle, strangely abandoned on a tree stump. We were miles into the wilderness, the nearest town a distant memory. The weight of the eagle spoke of its authenticity. It was a random token of human civilization in the midst of untouched nature. It seemed to be the first in a series of unusual items we encountered that day, each one more inexplicable than the last discarded as if part of a breadcrumb trail. That evening we arrived at a shelter. Our relief at finding a place to rest was quickly overshadowed by the unsettling presence of the shelter's lone inhabitant. He was an old man, his disheveled appearance and his walking staff, topped with a baby doll's head, gave off an immediate eerie aura. With only two levels in the shelter, we opted for the top, leaving the ground floor to our disconcerting company. The night was long. Any attempts at sleep were interrupted by the old man's rambling tales from his past. He spoke of his days as a cab driver in New Orleans, his voice echoing through the wooden shelter. His stories took an uncomfortable turn when he reminisced about passengers engaging in intimate acts in the back of his cab and how he would watch them in the rearview mirror. It was a disturbing disclosure that hung in the air like a bad stench. At dawn, we couldn't wait to distance ourselves from the shelter and its eerie resident. Before leaving, we left him some power bars. His haggard appearance suggested he needed them more than us. He probably had schizophrenia or some other mental illness, I thought, as we quickly retreated down the trail. Our encounter with him was a chilling reminder that the wilderness wasn't just filled with physical challenges, but with mental ones, too. It was a usual day in Missoula, Montana, the sort of day that begged you to lace up your hiking boots and lose yourself in the majesty of the surrounding mountains. I lived in a house tucked away at the foot of these ranges and found solace in their imposing shadow. After perhaps 45 minutes of arduous uphill hiking, without a path to guide me, I stumbled upon something that broke the rhythm of nature's harmony. It was a cage, but not one designed for trapping or hunting. No, this one was large enough to contain five to ten average-sized people standing erect. The structure was constructed with round steel bars defining its edges. The walls and ceiling were crafted from robust ropes instead of conventional chain links. It was cleverly concealed, resting just on the far side of the ridgeline and visible to anyone who wasn't directly upon it. The isolation of the cage was both puzzling and unnerving. Looking around, I noticed the ground was undisturbed. No footprints, no tire tracks, no signs of recent activity. The cage seemed oddly pristine, the ropes intact and undamaged. It was as if this cage had appeared out of thin air, serving an unfathomable purpose in the heart of this vast wilderness. A chill of apprehension ran down my spine as I studied the eerie structure. I felt a primal instinct kick in, urging me to leave the area and distance myself from this unsettling discovery. I had stumbled upon a mystery that perhaps was best left unsolved. Regretfully, I didn't have a camera with me that day. This was two years ago, and I was only out for a day hike. Over time, the memory of that cage has only become more enigmatic, a strange enigma amidst the natural beauty of the Mazola Mountains, a story that I now share with a sense of bewildered unease. I was camping and hiking in the Okavanoki Swamp. We, my girlfriend and me, we're far from being the only ones there, but when we woke up one morning, we took a canoe out in the swamp to explore. It was early. There was a thick layer of fog resting just atop the water. The whole swamp was completely still. No animals in sight at all. We paddled down the waterway for a while and saw nothing else. Not a single person. Not a bird. Not anything. We didn't hear a single sound. We had just cornered a bend in the swamp and we hear it, the loudest guttural bellow I had ever heard in my life. I could feel it echo through my chest, a true dinosaur sound. 
We stopped paddling and looked at each other, a little creep, head out. We knew it was an alligator, but we had never heard one that loud. We both looked behind the canoe, and behind us the backs and eyes of at least twenty alligators had risen. They had just surfaced out of nowhere. We slowly start to paddle forward, and we hear more bellows. They came from all around us, in front, behind, to the side, sounds emanating from the bush-covered banks. Each glance behind us we saw more eyes appear, more scaled mounds breaking the water's surface. From the banks in front, we would catch tails sliding into the water. Ripples of these huge reptiles broke the water all around us. We looked back again as we paddled faster, easily forty alligators behind us now. And we began to see them appear in front, ten, fifteen huge lizards seemingly blocking our path. Then one of the largest alligators I have ever seen surfaces right where my paddle was going down. I hit the beast on the back of the head, and the thrash he made was incredible. When his massive head hit the side of the small canoe, I thought we were going in the water. Water came into the canoe as the side dipped down. The beast disappeared below the boat, and we held steady. We paddled forward as fast as we could, right into the dotted landscape of scales and eyes. Behind us, that same guttural roar echoed through my body. As we cut through the field of eyes and backs, we started to see the path clear. The huge monster that had almost capsized us bellowed one last time. We turned as we made it past the last of the animals, and we could see the monsters staring at us. Watching us leave, all the other alligators began to sink to the water's floor. The big guy stayed there watching until he was satisfied we had gone, I guess. Then he disappeared without a sound back into the black, murky depths of the swamp. We banked the canoe further up the waterway, got out, and just sat around for a while, taking in what had just happened. This happened back in 2018, but it still frightens me whenever I think about it. Me and a friend wanted to hang out. We come from a very small, boring town with not much to do. We decided that we wanted to eat at Cheapottle, then walk over to the only shopping center available in our town. The walk to the shopping center wasn't bad. Chipotle was about five minutes away, and the overall area is pretty safe. Me and my friend were walking along the sidewalk that connects all the shops, but we were on the less populated side near a bookstore with lots of overgrown woods and grass, surrounding the back the building. We were goofing around taking stupid photos like freshman girls do when an older couple drove up to us in a van. The woman driving said, I just wanted to let you know that strange man parked over there has been following you around, and it seemed like he was taking photos. We looked not far across the lot and saw a single van parked purposely secluded from other cars with a man staring right at us. He didn't even try to hide the fact that he was clearly singling us out. We were 14 and 15 at the time, so neither of us had a license. We had gotten dropped off by a parent. We told the woman thank you and immediately started sprinting into Target, since that was the area with the most people. We sat in the food court area and waited to get picked up. While we were sitting there, we noticed the man who was watching us had followed us inside the store and was standing alone in front of the woman's restroom, awkwardly fidgeting. I'm not one to judge, but since he was clearly up to no good, he was older in the definition of a creep. He looked dirty and was wearing an oversized outfit. Luckily, we were safe, and we were extremely thankful for the woman that warned us. I couldn't even count the amount of times we thanked her. I don't even like to think about what could happen if that woman didn't gorn us and we didn't go inside that target. The story I'm about to share was related to me by a good friend, a regular deer hunter. The encounter he described, I'll admit, still sends shivers down my spine every time I think about it. It was late autumn, the perfect time for deer hunting. He'd headed into the woods by himself early one morning, bound for his deer stand. The crunch of leaves underfoot and the crisp morning air filled him with a sense of thrill only a true hunter can understand. He was about a half mile from his destination when a spine-tingling sound froze him in his tracks. 
The distant howls of what seemed to be two wolves echoed through the trees, no more than a hundred yards out. The hair on the back of his neck stood on end, and an icy shiver raced down his spine. Every instinct screamed at him to abandon his hunting trip. Forgetting his initial plans, he turned tail, making a mad dash back toward the main road where he had parked his car. His breath came in short, ragged gasps as he sprinted, the undergrowth crunching loudly under his frantic steps. After what felt like an eternity, but was probably no more than two minutes, he realized he was being pursued. The howls were louder, closer now, an eerie serenade that quickened his pace. He burst onto the main road, his heart pounding in his chest like a war drum. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw two large shapes lurking just at the edge of the woods, their eyes reflecting the weak dawn light. They were wolves, massive and ominous, but their stance was almost human-like, upright and eerily similar to that of a man. He had heard stories of the dogman, a creature with the body of a man and the head of a wolf, but he had always dismissed them as pure myth. Now he wasn't so sure. The creatures, whether they were wolves or something else, refused to venture onto the road, retreating into the shadows as he staggered to his car. They were indeed smart creatures, knowing their boundaries. He watched them fade back into the darkness, the realization of how terrifyingly close he had come to becoming their prey sinking in. He relayed this story to me, his eyes wide and still filled with the raw fear of that encounter. Even though I was not there myself, the vivid description, the terror in my friend's voice, made it feel all too real. Now, every time I hear a wolf's howl or find myself alone in the woods, I can't help but think of his chilling encounter. My mother and I live in southern Oregon and have had multiple encounters with cryptids, the first being what we believe was Wolfman. The second was some humanoid with wings. It walked across our roof and flew down in front of our neighbor's house, landed on two feet, and just casually walked away. It sounded like it was wearing boots while it walked across our roof and hit the pavement. The wings sounded like Bateman's cape, best description we could come up with. None of them felt menacing until now. We were driving home from Vegas and finally hit Susanville for gas and a snack. It was around midnight Saturday night. A few miles northwest of Susanville on the 44, we started seeing a lot of wildlife, so I was driving cautiously and had my eyes peeled for deer. I saw what I thought was a deer on the side of the road and slowed down to slow roll, about 30 miles per hour. It was huge and had long, stilt-like legs. The front legs were spread really wide, so I slowed down, more trying to process what I was seeing. Its head was down eating. As we got closer, it turned to look at us. The neck was thick and elongated as it swung its head towards us. We saw its face. It wasn't quite a deer face. I didn't see ears and the nose. Par mouth was elongated as well, almost like an anteater. Its eyes reflected red in my headlights. We both basically screamed and jumped back from the side window we were looking through. I swerved and sped away, looking into. Its eyes was absolutely unnerving. A not deer was the first thing that came to mind, but I honestly have no idea what we saw. Has anyone else seen something similar, or have any idea of what we might have seen? Thank you for taking the time to read this. My dad went hunting out in the Pennsylvania game lands and set up in a tree very deep in the woods. It was about noon, but the area was a bit dark from the shade of the thick forest. He described it as a boggy, swampy park. He noticed a storm was about to roll in and figured it'd be too dark or rainy to hang around much longer. So as he's thinking about leaving, a ten-pointer just rolls up within a very close range. I don't know what is considered close, but he shoots him. The deer drops dead. That was the point of him telling the story. Where it gets weird is as soon as he shot the deer, a man walked right past the deer. He didn't look at it. He didn't pay any attention to it. He wasn't wearing hunting apparel. The area isn't one for hiking since well. It's a game land, and he was deep in the boggy woods. 
My friend's dad swears there is absolutely no way the man didn't see a deer drop dead in the direction he was walking in. The man was no more than five yards away from the deer as he walked by it. And just like that, the man seemed to disappear and quickly as he appeared. He still continues to hunt. I'm not sure I would have, but I don't hunt. It was a warm summer evening, and I, Jocko, sat on my worn wooden porch, the wicker chair creaking slightly under my weight. My eyes scanned the surrounding wilderness as my hand gripped a cold beer. Retired life was a stark contrast to my days as a Navy SEAL, quiet, tranquil, predictable. But sometimes the past has a way of resurfacing when you least expect it. As I stared at the setting sun, my mind took me back to a mission I hadn't thought about in years, a covert operation. We were a team of five, the best the SEALs had to offer. Our assignment, to explore a sunken artifact discovered at the bottom of the ocean, its origin unknown and possibly alien. I could still feel the chilling bite of the ocean as we plunged into the icy darkness. We swam towards the ominous shape of a craft lurking in the depths, the hull gleaming faintly in our torchlight. As we made our way inside, our flashlights cutting through the abyss, we realized we weren't alone. The creatures came out of nowhere. They moved through the water with an elegance that belied their gruesome appearance, their bodies human-like but horribly distorted. They watched us with vacant eyes, seeming to blend with the shadows. Our rifles were useless under the pressure of the ocean, and the creatures came upon us with a predatory hunger. And then we found them, ten bodies suspended in a twisted form of stasis, their lifeless eyes staring back at us. It was a sight that still haunted my dreams, a grim reminder of the fate that awaited us. I remember the sharp sting of betrayal when we finally found the artifact. It was a fake, a chunk of bronze cunningly disguised. Our hopes were shattered, and with them, our morale. But there was no time to grieve. We had to escape. Yet the craft was a labyrinth, its halls echoing with the cries of our unseen enemies. I fought driven by pure survival instinct. But one by one, I watched my brothers fall. By some miracle, or perhaps some cruel twist of fate, I was the only one to escape emerging from the depths to gasp the sweet, life-giving air. My triumph was short-lived. They came for me, men in suits, faces hidden behind dark sunglasses. Their words were cold and uncompromising. The operation was secret, they said. I was to never speak of it. The weight of their words sunk deeper than any ocean. I took a long sip of my beer, the bitter taste grounding me back to reality. I may have retired from the Navy SEALs, but the memories, they never truly retired from me. Last fall, in the vast expanse of Bridger-Teton National Forest, I embarked on an unforgettable journey with a group of friends. Our road trip was not centered around hunting or any particular purpose. Rather, it was a venture fueled by our shared love for exploration and the great outdoors. Our destination was set, and with a friend en route to Jackson Hole Airport, we secured a coveted spot in the Spread Creek dispersed camping area, nestled within the embrace of nature's tranquility. As we set up camp and made preparations, a fleeting thought crossed our minds, urging us to ascend the hill and seek solace in higher grounds. However, a collective decision swayed us to remain in our chosen site, content with the natural beauty that surrounded us. Little did we know that this choice would lead us on a path intertwined with the enigmatic and the unknown. Returning to our camp after retrieving our friend from the airport, we were greeted by an unexpected visitor, a sizable dogman-like creature, bipedal with dark fur, emerged from the very spot we had claimed as our own. A mix of awe, trepidation, and respect washed over us as we observed the Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Destic creature in its habitat. It was a first-time encounter for most of us, a moment that left us slightly uneasy as we settled into our tents for the night. The following day dawned, and as we began the process of packing up our belongings, a group of National Forest Rangers made their way up the trail towards us. Their arrival brought with it a sense of urgency, as they informed us that the campground would be closed shortly after our departure. Their words hung in the air, hinting at an incident that had taken place nearby, but they divulged no further details. Intrigued and unnerved by the ranger's cryptic message, we couldn't help but wonder what lay concealed just beyond the ridge. Little did we know that the missing girl, whose disappearance had garnered national attention and ignited countless headlines, had been found merely a quarter mile from our campsite. The intertwining paths of chance and fate had brought us to a place where the echoes of tragedy resonated, unbeknownst to us until that moment. As we departed from that serene haven, our hearts heavy with the weight of the unknown, we carried with us an indelible reminder of the fragility of life and the enduring mysteries that lie within the realm of the wilderness. I'm Officer Miller, and I've had some extraordinary encounters in New London County while on patrol. It all started one night around midnight. I was sitting in my parked cruiser when, to my astonishment, I spotted a creature just 15 feet away. It was large, covered in short, dark hair, and completely devoid of any clothing or jewelry. But what truly caught my attention were its massive gray eyes that emitted an eerie glow like a flashlight cutting through the darkness. Several months later, I received information about an unrelated incident involving three missing individuals who were hunting in the same area where I had encountered the creature before. Determined to investigate further, I gathered a team and set up traps, hoping to catch a glimpse or any evidence of its presence. Despite our efforts, the heavy rainfall hindered our search, and we came up empty-handed. Five weeks passed, and I had long forgotten about the incident when I received a phone call at home. It was the deputy sheriff in charge of the missing persons case, asking if I had witnessed anything unusual. Due to the persistent rain, I knew the creature wouldn't have left any traceable evidence. Nevertheless, I recounted what I had seen five weeks earlier, a towering figure measuring around seven to eight feet in height with short dark hair and a face that was nothing short of grotesque. And those eyes, still vivid in my memory, glowed with a strange gray hue. During the summer of 1973, I heard another chilling account from Detective Bradson. He was called to investigate reports of an unknown animal slaughtering livestock. Initially presumed to be a wolf or a coyote, it quickly became apparent that something far more mysterious was at play. As Bradson walked through the woods, he stumbled upon large tracks that led him into a dense swamp area, enveloped by thick vegetation. It was in that moment that an unsettling feeling washed over him, an eerie sensation of being watched. And in the distance, he caught sight of a pair of bright green eyes. Reacting instinctively, Bradson drew his gun and fired a warning shot into the air. But as quickly as the eyes appeared, they vanished, leaving him with a sense of impending danger. As darkness descended upon the surroundings, Bradson decided it was best to retreat. He couldn't shake the feeling that whatever lurked in those woods was observing his every move. The description he gave of the creature mirrored the one I'd encountered in my own report, though his encounter occurred four years prior to mine. These unsettling events continue to baffle us, leaving us with more questions than answers. What is this enigmatic being that roams our county? Is it merely a figment of our imagination or something far more tangible? As an officer dedicated to serving and protecting, 
It is my duty to uncover the truth behind these strange encounters, no matter how unnerving they may be. I have a friend whose father worked for the Forest Service. We found Skookum Lake from one of his maps. This was a primitive campsite just north of Bagby Hot Springs. As soon as we arrived, we set up camp and went for a long hike up thunder mount after the hike the sun was beginning to set all four of us were beat so we got ready for bed no drinking no drugs no funny stuff exhausted i fell asleep as soon as i hit my mummy bag sometime during the night i heard some noises not your usual nighttime forest noises i heard large rocks being thrown down the ridge banging off the other rocks on the way down and from the hike earlier in day, I noticed a large pile of boulders near the top of the ridge. It sounded like something was hunting for something. I sat up in my tent, 100% alert. I wasn't dreaming. I tried to wake up my friends, but was frozen stiff. I was surprised no one else woke up. Finally, I was asleep, only to be awakened to footsteps outside our camp. It didn't sound like a bear, because the footsteps were spaced apart longer than a four-legged animal. I could not talk, so I tried to throw my socks at my friends. Nothing at all. I forced myself to sleep, and the next day I only asked if anyone else woke up last night to any loud noises. No one did, so I never mentioned the rocks and footsteps. There were no footprints anywhere. We didn't like all the mosquitoes, so we left Skookum Lake for another camp. It won't until a few years later when I read about other incidents at Skookum. That's why I think it may have been the Sasquatch. Eleven of us gathered at the crack of dawn, a motley crew of seasoned hunters, each with our own stories etched onto weathered faces and calloused hands. We were embarking on a hunting trip like no other, deep into the untamed wilderness of Oklahoma. Our rifles gleamed in the morning light a testament to our prowess and determination. As we ventured further into the remote wilderness, our senses sharpened, attuned to every rustle of leaves and fleeting shadow. The air grew heavy with anticipation, and a sense of foreboding washed over us. It was as if the forest itself held its breath, waiting for our first encounter. Days turned into nights, and with each passing moment, the weight of an unseen presence pressed upon us. The cryptid, an unknown entity lurking in the depths of the forest, haunted our every step, whispered tales of its ferocity and insatiable hunger, filled our campfire conversations, fueling both curiosity and fear. Then it began. A hunter would vanish without a trace, leaving behind nothing but unanswered questions and a chilling silence that hung in the air. Fear gripped our hearts as the encounters grew more frequent, and the cryptid reveled in our despair. One by one, our numbers dwindled, falling victim to the wrath of this supernatural predator. Desperation consumed us, and we realized the true nature of our foe, a dogman, a creature akin to the mythical werewolf prowling through the darkness with lethal intent. The final hunter, battered and bloodied, stood alone against the relentless assault. He clutched his rifle tightly, determined to defy the odds. A fierce battle ensued, gunfire ripping through the stillness of the forest. But the dogman proved resilient, shrugging off the hunter's bullets. Just as the werewolf lunged forward, ready to deliver the final blow, it froze, sensing a presence in the distance. With a primal howl, it vanished into the shadows, retreating to the sanctuary of the woods. Moments later, a park ranger emerged from the depths of the forest, drawn by the echoing turmoil. With a mixture of relief and pain, he rushed to the injured hunter's side, offering solace and aid. It was a bittersweet victory. Dimly lit. Cluttered with scientific equipment and specimen containers, the remote Iraqi lab is an eerie and foreboding place. The sound of machinery hums in the background. A group of scientists huddled together in lab coats move with purpose around a large glass enclosure in the center of the room. 
Inside the enclosure is a bizarre creature, resembling a hybrid between a wolf and a reptile. Dr. Hassan, a middle-aged scientist with graying hair, observes the creature intently, a mix of excitement and trepidation in his eyes. We've done it, the perfect specimen, our own creation. Dr. Ali, a younger scientist with an air of uncertainty, approaches Dr. Hassan, casting a worried glance at the creature. But what if something goes wrong? What if it gets out? Hassan waves off Dr. Ali's concerns dismissively. We have taken every precaution. My dear Ali, our creation will be contained within these walls. Suddenly an alarm blares. Flashing red lights fill the room. Panic ensues. What's happening? said Hassan. Dr. Ali frantically replied. It's escaped. The creature has breached containment. The scientists scramble, desperately trying to regain control. The creature, now free, prowls the lab with a savage and calculated intent. What have we unleashed? One by one, the scientists become prey to the unstoppable creature. It lunges, claws, and tears through their bodies, leaving a trail of carnage in its wake. The lab descends into chaos as screams of pain and terror echo through the air. A few days later, in the blistering heat of the Al-Hajarah desert in Iraq, beads of sweat glistened on my forehead as I, Jocko King, led my highly trained Navy SEAL team on Operation Mirage. Our mission was to infiltrate a suspicious research facility in Iraq, rumored to be a covert weapons development site. The stakes were high, and failure was not an option. As we trekked through the unforgiving desert, our bodies pushed to the limits by the scorching sun, we remained vigilant, aware of the hostile Iraqi forces that could be lurking in the shadows. Our camouflage gear provided little relief from the relentless heat, but we pressed on, knowing that the fate of many lives depended on our success. Finally, we arrived at the facility, its nondescript exterior belying the secrets hidden within. With calculated precision, we breached the compound, ready to face whatever lay ahead. To our astonishment, the facility appeared deserted, devoid of any human presence. Confusion gnawed at our minds as we cautiously proceeded, scanning our surroundings for any signs of life. Then the unnerving truth revealed itself. Littering the corridors were the lifeless bodies of over a hundred scientists and doctors, their vacant stares forever frozen in a haunting tableau. The silence was oppressive, as if the air itself held its breath in anticipation. We couldn't fathom the horrors that had unfolded within these walls, but we had little time to dwell on it. Suddenly a chilling growl resonated through the empty halls. We snapped into high alert. Our senses heightened, ready to face any adversary that dared to challenge us. Emerging from the shadows was a creature beyond our wildest imagination, a cryptid resembling a hawking Bigfoot with fur that blended seamlessly with the desert sands and razor-sharp black talons reminiscent of an eagle's claws. Fear coursed through our veins, but we had been trained to face the unknown, to confront danger head on. The cryptid lunged at us with a ferocity that matched its monstrous appearance. It moved with unnatural speed, leaving us scrambling to defend ourselves. In the chaos, it claimed the lives of a few of my fellow seals, their sacrifice etching a permanent ache in my heart. Yet we refused to surrender. We fought back with every ounce of strength and skill we possessed. Bullets pierced the creature's flesh, and the deafening blasts of gunfire reverberated through the facility. Our determination proved unwavering, even as exhaustion threatened to consume us. And finally, we succeeded in bringing down the cryptid, its monstrous form collapsing in a heap before us. As the creature took its last breath, an inexplicable phenomenon occurred. Its lifeless body disintegrated into a swirling mist, dissipating into the air as if it had never existed. The implications of this encounter were far-reaching and our minds spun with questions that remained unanswered. Inside the facility, we established contact with the nearest United States military base, informing them of our triumph over the conquered facility. Our voices trembled with a mixture of relief, exhaustion, and a lingering sense of unease. We had accomplished our mission, 
but the memory of that cryptid, the horror we had witnessed, would forever haunt our dreams. I served in the SAF as a combat medic and was tasked to lead a medical support team for a training course in Brunei. Due to one of my medics falling sick out in the field, I had the privilege of taking his place and spending the night with an officer and a warrant officer. W.O.O. on a narrow ridge line in Mount Beyond, which was apparently a navigation exercise checkpoint for the trainees. As night fell, we were warned by the officer to refrain from sleeping in the middle of the ridge line as we ran the risk obstructing the path of any wandering spirits. Out of respect, we took the advice and constructed our hammocks as close to the sides of the ridge line as we dared. Being a light sleeper, I kept being roused by the sound of the occasional heavy footstep walking by, crunching on the dead leaves and sticks on the ground. The footsteps sounded human, but at that point of time at night, nobody was supposed to navigate the mountain in pitch black. The next morning, my auditory experience was validated when all three of us found fresh tracks, too big to belong to any animal, on the ground that appeared in inconsistent intervals. I was walking through the vast field, my footsteps crunching on the dry grass beneath my boots. The sun was setting, casting an orange glow across the landscape. As a park ranger, I had spent countless hours patrolling these woods, ensuring the safety of both the visitors and the wildlife that called this place home. I had a routine, a familiar path I followed every evening. But this time, something felt off. The air was thick with an eerie silence, broken only by the distant chirping of birds. As I approached the tree line, a sense of unease settled upon me like a shiver running down my spine. And then it happened. A bone-chilling, raptor-like scream pierced through the air, cutting through the tranquility of the evening. The sound reverberated through the trees, resonating deep within me. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest, my senses heightened. I stood there immobile for what felt like an eternity. The second stretched into minutes, and my mind raced with a whirlwind of possibilities. Was it a wild animal? A prankster playing tricks on me, or something else entirely? With trembling hands, I reached for my shotgun, fingers fumbling as I loaded a shell into the chamber. The weight of the weapon provided some semblance of comfort, a small assurance in the face of the unknown. I slowly made my way to a nearby towering tree, its ancient branches reaching out like skeletal fingers against the fading light. Leaning my back against its sturdy trunk, I sat down, my eyes scanning the surrounding area searching for any signs of movement or danger. But there was nothing. The woods remained still, devoid of light. The only sounds now were the soft whispers of the wind and the rustling leaves. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that unseen eyes were trained on me from the shadows. Time ticked by, the minutes merging into an indefinite stretch of apprehension. The night gradually enveloped the land, casting an impenetrable darkness upon the trees. Still, I remained alert and vigilant. Hours passed, and the moon cast its faint glow over the landscape. No more screams, no more unsettling noises disrupted the calm. With a mix of relief and curiosity, I cautiously rose from my spot and continued my patrol. As I made my way back through the field, a nagging sense of unease lingered within me. I couldn't shake the feeling that whatever had emitted that bone. Chilling scream was still out there, lurking in the shadows. But for now, all I could do was carry on, my footsteps echoing through the night, and hope that tomorrow would bring answers to the mystery that had unfolded in the woods. I haven't told this to anyone but my brother because he knows where this place is. There are remote cypress swamps along the Pearl River in central Mississippi, and some of them become inaccessible due to flooding during hunting season. The remoteness of some of these places create ideal situations for a hunter willing to put in the extra effort 
and I have hunted these woods and swamps for years and know them well. Even though it's a bad idea, when I was younger, I was confident enough to hunt back in there alone. One afternoon during duck season, a front was coming in, and I knew if I could get to Deal Island that it would be a good day. I put on my chest waters and rode my four-wheeler down an overgrown logging trail in the swamp to the edge of the flood. I waited a couple of sloths and got to a particular honey hole where I could slay them. I did, and it was good. But when it came time to wade back out, I got a sense of unease that I could not explain. The weather was odd, because even though the temp was dropping and a front was expected, everything was absolutely still and quiet. If you have ever been alone in a swamp at night, you will know what I mean. But everything is different when you can only see what's in the cone of light from your flashlight. I wasn't worried because my light was good, and hell, I was carrying a 12-gauge shotgun. But still, something kept making the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I was being watched, and I could feel it. Sound carries funny in the swamp, but the sloshing noises I was making was the only thing I could hear. It was echoing back to me in funny ways, and when I stopped to adjust the strap on the bag of decoys, the sloshing echo did not stop when it should have. Okay, there is something else in the swamp. No big deal. Some deer or hog will realize I am human in a minute and move away, except it didn't. I would move for a bit and then stop and listen. The sound of something else out there would also stop, but it was getting closer. Not normal. The cone of my flashlight made the trees and tangled brush cast long, scraggly shadows that moved with me as I tried to hurry out of the swamp. My knuckles were turning white on that Remington 870, and I was wishing it was loaded with something heftier than number two, steel shot. I noticed a very bad smell, like skunk except much worse, and stopped again to listen and shine my light around. I noticed how the shadows continued to move, but holy crap, I'm not moving. Why are the goddamn shadows moving? A limb snapped, and when I spun around to face it, something that was not there made a soft hissing noise. The beam of my light just ended in a shape of nothingness that was not there. A breath of stench hit my face, and I heard that hissing sound again, and I got the F out of that swamp. I was shaking and drenched in sweat when I got back to the truck, and those woods did not feel like my woods anymore. When I say it was something that was not there, that is the only way I can describe it. My light hit it, and there was shadow behind it, but there was nothing there. Something in that swamp scared the crap out of me, and I do not want to know what it was. Okay, you might not believe me, but me and my two other friends were staying the night at, let's just call him, Jory's house. We were talking about going out at nighttime to see anything, because our town has a lot of scary stories and legends. We went out, and we were all on edge, and we heard a couple sounds that scared us. Most likely just radiator noises and branches cracking, leading to us to run inside. We went to Jerry's room, and we all looked out Jerry's window. We didn't see anything for a while, but when my other friend, we'll call him Body, said he saw something outside peeking from the side of a tree. We all looked at the direction he was looking, but me and Jerry couldn't see anything. Then Body refused to look out again because the sight of the thing was burned into his mind. I couldn't see it, so Body described it to me. After I looked back through the window, I, I saw it myself. I can only describe it as extremely skinny to the point you could see. It's bones, and it had an extremely bulbous head that was large enough to be bigger than its entire body. This is what lead me to think it was the Dover demon. Jory went to get his binoculars, but couldn't find them. We tried to take a picture of it, but the only time the camera would focus. The monster wasn't there. In fact, the entire tree was missing. It was there for a while after when trying to find something else to get proof, but it left soon after. I know the camera not working is kind of a cliché excuse, but I put it on everything. We really saw it. Mm -hmm. 
I saw the skinwalker. The day began when I woke up from my bed and looked through the window. It was still morning when I went to school and noticed the door was open. The bathroom door was also open. I entered and saw a head looking at me through the window. I ran out, locked the bathroom, and left the house. I went to school until I heard footsteps behind me. I started running, and when I reached the window, I saw a shadow. When my classmates arrived, the shadow disappeared. Later, when I went out, I saw my house in a mess. Then I saw him at the door of my room. I ran, grabbed a pan, and continued running until it was afternoon. I went back inside my house, and it was empty. I lay down on my bed and fell asleep. I have seen what I believe to be greys, and I've seen them on two different occasions. Once when I was a child, I had an experience one night. I was probably around six or seven years old. I remember sitting up in the bed. You know, back there in those days, back when I was a kid, people didn't lock their doors, stuff like that. I kind of lived out in somewhat of a rural area, and I remember the door coming open one night and this light coming through it. I mean just this bright, like a bluish-white light, and I remember seeing this little person come walking in, and he had this kind of leotard jumpsuit on, and he came up, and he sat down on the bed with me. Here I am, five or six years old, freaking out, you know, and I'm freaking out, and I'm trying to scream, but nothing is coming out. This creature, being, or whatever it was, just kind of sat there a minute. Then it got up and walked into the kitchen. And my little curious self went in there, and there was nothing in there. So I kind of chalked it up to be some kind of childhood dream or hallucination or something like that. It wasn't until I was an adult that I saw a similar being, almost in the same way. I had just gotten married at that time, back in like 1996, and the thing came into my house in the same type of manner. So have I seen them? Well... If I haven't seen them, then I've had some pretty damn vivid dreams of them. Now, if you want to look at it from the perspective of, have I seen them while I was Bigfoot hunting? Well, I haven't seen a creature, per se, but I have seen some very strange craft, like objects and funny glowing little lights and stuff going through the woods and stuff while I was Bigfooting. I don't know. Even now, I'm a tad bit unsure if what I saw was even real, but I'm 99% sure that, yes, I have seen aliens. When I was a teenager, probably about 15, 16, I was hanging out with a group of friends out on the back deck at my buddy's house, which backs up to a small forested green strip pretty much a forested area that runs through residential areas to provide habitat and protect streams from pollution. One of my friends looked down off the deck and said, WTF is that? When I looked there was what I can only describe as a huge humanoid-shaped shadow figure. Its proportions weren't normal. It was very broad, didn't seem to have a neck, and was just massive like seven, eight feet tall. It didn't have any discernible features, no eyes, mouth, hair, etc. It just seemed to be made out of the absence of light, if that makes sense. It was just standing there, facing us at the edge of the tree line. Has anyone ever heard of anything like this? Obviously Bigfoot or Sasquatch kind of comes to mind as far as the size and shape, but I don't think that's what we saw. Recently, my fiancé and I were watching a movie. I'm not sure what it was, but there was a scene in the movie with a UFO. We got into a conversation about it, and she asked me if I had ever seen a UFO. I proceeded to tell her the same story that I'm about to tell you that I had never told anybody, because to be quite honest, as I was telling her, the story memories were coming to me, that I had completely put in the back of my mind. I lived in a small town called Dover, Missouri, about 60 miles east of Kansas City. I was living with a girlfriend at the time and her brother. My girlfriend worked the night shift, so I would stay up late at night and wait for her to get home in the morning. For some reason, we decided to go to Concordia, Missouri, to a truck stop for coffee. 
the truck stop was about 25 to 30 miles away from where we were. My girlfriend's brother was driving his car, and I was riding in the passenger seat. We left the house at about 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning and proceeded to drive east on Highway 24, leaving Dover towards the exit to go to Concordia. My girlfriend's brother had some god-awful rap music playing in the car, and I was looking out the window watching for deer. As I'm looking out the window, he is talking, but I'm really not paying attention to what he is saying because I see a bright light about a mile ahead, 200 feet off the ground ahead of us. I was able to gauge the distance because I could see beyond the water tower that I was familiar with at an orchard on Highway 24. I could clearly make out that the red light was flashing on top of the water tower, and this light appeared to be just off to the side of it and above it. I watched the light for about a minute or two, and I asked him if he saw what I saw. I can only describe it as a ball of light that changed colors. As we got closer, I noticed that it was not moving. It was stationary side by side with the light on top of the water tower. Keep in mind this water tower is in the middle of nowhere. There are no buildings around for at least 15 to 20 miles beside the barn that was on the opposite side of the road and is about half the height of the water tower. I remember telling him it was not moving. We stopped the car to get out and look at it and it started to move. This is the point of the story where my fiance asked me what happened next and to be honest, until she asked me that question, I never thought about it, and I do not remember what happened next. My next memory is turning south onto the sad road off Highway 24, but I believe that it was much later when we arrived at the truck stop around 3 a.m., but it seemed perfectly normal to us at the time and remained that way until the night I was with my fiancé many years later. As I have thought about it more the last month or so, I remember flashes of images, but I do not trust the images are accurate because, as I said, I'm not sure what happened. 